Hi, this is Monica Puchner with Hilo.io. In this episode, we have Dan Melton, CTO of Fetch Trading. We are going to be talking about the topic of what to invest in now, some of the protocols that support adoption and blockchain apps, and what should we think about from both an entrepreneurial standpoint and also an investment standpoint and a building standpoint in terms of adoption. So what's going to drive adoption in the future? Is that going to be roads or gas stations? And why it's important to think about the ways we can apply technology and uh, different advancements in the landscape. And what should investors be considering when they're taking a look at different projects? So, Dan, welcome. Hi, Monica. If you could give us uh, just a, a bit about yourself and background and, and what you've been up to in the blockchain space, that'd be really helpful. Sure, definitely. Uh, so, a little bit of background about me. I have a PhD in public affairs and econ uh, from the Henry Block School at the University of Missouri. Uh, we studied money and uh, how money is regulated by public policy. Awesome program. Love doing that. Been a developer since I was 10. I wrote my first line of code uh, to draw circles on a screensaver and just absolutely loved it. I've been a developer ever since. Uh, some of my past companies and nonprofits that I founded or been the CTO of include Code for America. Helped get that off the ground in 2010. I was a VP of engineering at uh, Granicus, which is a video streaming company for governments. Uh, and most recently, I was a CTO of Neighborly, which is an on online municipal bond marketplace where we made the sort of issuing and the buying of a really complex asset class municipal bonds simple and easy. Um, and now I'm the CTO of uh, HelloFetch or Fetch Trading. Uh, and we're an awesome, easy to use experience uh, that users can go online, acquire the tokens they need, uh, and then interact with any type of blockchain. So just touching on that for a second before we get into the meat of this podcast, what kind of gave you the impetus to build this? Like what problems do you see existing today that kind of, you know, we're not seeing the traction that we should within the, the landscape and ecosystem? Yeah, um, I really got turned on to just blockchain everything about two years ago when I was just working in the sort of what I call now the traditional finance sector, which is basically glorified PDF processing. Um, and it was just really intense to work with banking partners and to get any type of transactions done. It cost a lot of money. I got turned into blockchain, uh, especially Ethereum and smart, uh, smart contracts and protocols because it just made exchanging value, value really super easy. Um, so I started uh, getting involved in mining. I did a data center in my basement, um, learned a lot about how the actual uh, sort of blockchains themselves work. Uh, and then decided, wow, I really love this. Ended up leaving Neighborly at the end of last year to pursue a new company in this space. So I think this is a really super powerful new ecosystem that's uh, that's coming online. Uh, and I wanted to make the experience for users who want to interact with it super simple. Uh, I think that's what we need for basically blockchains to become like more uh, widespread and more adopted. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's a little bit of background about why I joined it um, and why we started Fetch. So you guys are not doing a token sale today, are you? We're not. Uh, we are uh, getting ready to do some investment round. Uh, we've um, have self funded and uh, bootstrapped so far. We're not. We're probably going to go just with a traditional equity raise. Uh, I think uh, doing a token sale, you know, raising a ton of money, while that does sound fun and great, I, I think as a smaller company, uh, raising just the amount of money you need early on, I think is super important. Uh, a lot of companies, if you raise too much money, you just don't have a lot of pressure to build a good product. Mm -hmm. uh, we really want to work on product market fit before we go out and 
uh, really raise a lot of money. Yep. Yep. So it's important as, as kind of the early stage development of these, of these, um, blockchains. Do you think that they're the dApps of today will be the dApps of the future? Or how do you foresee kind of decentralized applications gaining momentum with technology layers that exist today? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We use the word uh, dApp today, uh, which just basically means an application that interfaces with a decentralized web, right? So uh, there are properties of it. Uh, you know, we can agree or disagree on what the properties of a dApp actually are. Um, I think it's kind of a nebulous term. I think what's going to win tomorrow are apps that just take a user experience, use case, and deliver 10x speed, value, whatever that mm-hmm. is. Uh, and those are the apps that are going to win. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll call them dApps in the future, but I think we're just going to call them fetch or whatever the application yeah. is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's the same thing as today. Like users are going to adopt something that helps them uh, do whatever they want to do faster, easier, beautiful, you know, it's catchy, whatever that sort of you know, it factor is. Uh, that's really what's going to drive adoption. Yeah, we talk about that, like decentralized and protocols. We were even dis- discussing, like, what is a protocol? It's like, it's very simple, right? When it comes down to it, it's all about brass tacks. Like, you know, the, the early days of the internet, it's just really about building great products yeah. at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. And- like, product sort of gets out of the way. You know, we, um, we go and buy a latte. We don't really think about like, oh, I've got to take out my credit card, which is my bank. And then there's all of these intermediaries starting with Visa that then pays through my bank to the other bank. And then it's uh, validated, checked, and yeah, all that. Time. And we just think about buying a latte and drinking it. Right? Yeah. You know, it just gets out of the way of the experience. And today in crypto land, we have all of these protocol terms and dApps and you know this language that we use to sort of describe it. But at the end of the day, it's really just about solving use cases. Uh, and we're still in the technology and infrastructure perspective about how those use cases are solved versus like what is the actual use case and and why the user is doing something. Uh, and I'm really excited about those that that future that's coming. And so, how do you see that? That what's your take on where the market's headed? What's your vision for the future of blockchain and the entire ecosystem as a whole? I mean, kind of big picture from personal perspective, since you have such a great background, I would just love to hear more about that. So I, I think we can break it down into a couple of different areas. The first one is just the data or database layer. Uh, right now, we've got probably like 30 to 40 different competing chains out there. Uh, that, that's not going to continue. We're going to see a consolidation, a network effect consolidation um, to maybe a couple of worldwide chains. And that can, I think that consolidation is going to get differentiated um, by basically governments coming on and saying, this is the chain that we're issuing our currency on. Um, it'll be a company like Walmart or maybe WeChat that comes out and says, all right, all suppliers now need to use this chain to, uh, to prove provenance. Or WeChat says, we're going to issue our own chain for to power our payments. And then any developer who wants to be on WeChat with us needs to move to that chain. So um, I think we'll also see things like maybe speed or privacy or programmable smart contracts and other sorts of unique item properties that will cause that consolidation. But we will see a consolidation uh, just for network effects. Uh, down to three, maybe five chains. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can also see a bunch of like private networks uh, sort of coming up to solve very specific business to business network problems. So think like maybe inter interbank systems might be a good mm-hmm. example of that. So if we're, we'll see a scaling down to sort of three to five chains. Um, as that scaling down happens, I think we're going to see an explosion of many more smart contracts and protocols built on those. Uh, so think like everything from money markets to loans to exchanging to signing documents, you name it, uh, on those blockchains. Uh, and then 
I'm not sure if we'll see a further consolidation to just those one or two protocols or if we'll see a bunch of them. Uh, that's to, I'm not sure. Maybe those will be differentiated on price. Um, maybe it's the token that you need or you don't need a token or interact with these protocols. Not exactly sure how that's going to shape up. Um, it could go either direction, but there's going to be a good number of them that are basically analogs to everything that we see today. Uh, so if you want to get a loan as an example, there's going to be a smart contract that you'll be able to get a loan for. Um, I think a big topic that we're talking about right now is how is the custodial and non-custodial solutions going to shape up? So are we going to see basically everything consolidate into like a Coinbase? Mm -hmm. As we go out and raise money, everyone asks us, oh, well, how are you going to compete against Coinbase? Yeah. Like, well, it's not exactly like you're competing against Coinbase. There's going to be custodial solutions that um, you know hold your assets for you. Uh, and then you're also going to have non-custodial solutions today. Um, I, I would say probably the can, if we were to use analogy for that today, I would say like, okay, you've got an investment account that's less liquid, uh, that you can actually make more liquid, and that's custodial. Um, you can take that to a bank account and a checking account, which is a little bit more liquid. Uh, that's also custodial. And then you can also go to an ATM and have a non-custodial ATM cash come out that then you can carry around with you. I think we're going to see an analog like that uh, in this sort of space as it evolves. Um, which is, I think, super exciting. Um, and then the last piece about this is, all right, so if we've got a mix of custodial solutions, we also have three to five chains and a ton of these different protocols, um, uh, that's a lot for a user to have to figure out. Yeah, you know, there, there, a lot for us to have to yeah, figure out. I mean, totally. even being in the industry, it's yeah. hard to keep up with the momentum of different technologies and use cases and designs Absolutely. that are that are really taking charge. And even with the chains, I mean... You know, is it shifting to um, a scenario where we have a mix of public and private blockchains that are really going to see the light of day? I know you worked on a few in the past that were were interesting. So, yeah, it's a lot for anyone to, to assemble. <laughs> and I, I think as this space evolves, the one thing that is going to be constant between these services is that you're going to need a public and private key, mm -hmm. right? So you're going to need a way to identify yourself. Um, and, and use these services. And I think that's where there's going to be a whole layer of service providers that come up and wrap this. Today, we call that a bank. Uh, so if you want to go and like pay for something or get a loan or whatever, it almost always starts with your bank identifying who you are and your ability to pay. And I think we're going to have something similar to that evolve. There's going to be this new tool that's going to be in our wallet or on our phone or, or what have you, a new set of product, uh, a new product class, if you will, um, that is basically going to identify who you are and what chain you are attached to, and then we'll allow you to interact with these service providers. That's one of the reasons why we're sort of building Fetch is that we think that you're gonna to need to interact with three to five chains, you're gonna need tokens, you're gonna to need to acquire those tokens, uh, and that you'll need a central identity to sort of interact with them. Um, and that you're not gonna to wanna to go to every single um, individual protocol, even if they have a website or a way to interact with it, and sort of navigate that. You're going to want a seamless experience that will take you from protocol to protocol and just let you do what you want to do without you need to know what a protocol even is. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Like my grandma is a React protocol user, right? A TCP IP <laughs> protocol user. She doesn't know that, right? She just uh, wants to go on to Facebook, yeah. you know, and use Facebook. And I think that's where we're going. We'd have service providers that really make that happen. So are, is, is Fetch part of that, that service provider that makes it happen? And how is that different? You know, you mentioned Coinbase and... Uh, to a certain extent, there's um, some other non-custodial wallets uh, in, in the ecosystem. Tell me more about what, what's, what Fetch is. Yeah, so I think where we're at in the industry right now is uh, the crypto, or the fiat crypto ramp has mostly been solved in Coinbase. I think in many ways it's won that battle. Um, you've got to get into the system and play, right? So you need a way to convert your USD or your yen or whatever into, into the crypto uh, system. 
Uh, and then once, once you enter the crypto system with Coinbase, what do you do with it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so maybe you go, you, you went and you bought tokens. Uh, you had to figure out how to do that because kind of Coinbase really did not allow you to buy other tokens, right? So you either invested your ETH or your Bitcoin or your Litecoin into a token project, and now you hold uh, these tokens. Um, and those tokens, you know, are probably a year, maybe a year and a half old at this point. Uh, and those services now are starting to launch. And you're like, oh, great. Now I can go and uh, uh, get an auger and start using a prediction market if I'm into that one. Or uh, maybe I want to go and uh, start playing with DAI and like figuring out how that system works. Um, so in order to do that, you're going to need to acquire the underlying token. Um, and then you also have to figure out how to interact with a, whatever that smart contract system is. But what we're trying to do at Fetch is, you know, you ought to be able to just sort of like one click do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you know, for, for Maker and Adapt, I love what they've built with the DAI. Uh, on their website, it's nine to 10 clicks um, to figure out before you can sort of like uh, uh, actually open a collateralized position with them. Uh, we want to make that one click. Uh, so you can just do it and then start earning interest or converting to DAI or whatever that is. And I think we're going to see a lot of apps start building as the expertise of, about these protocols is a little bit more widespread in the developing community. They're going to start seeing basically more companies come in to sort of solve these user experience flows and then start connecting them together. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, you've got this amount of ETH, but you don't want to lose it. So let's convert that into DAI for you. Now you can use that DAI to pay for things, right? And uh, have that sort of seamless uh, process happen. And so how do you um, foresee more consumers or more people getting into, so like you and I um, have been in, in blockchain for a bit, so we know a little bit more than the average user you are certainly a technologist, so you have a background in finance, so you have a better understanding about what these tools can offer and afford in terms of changing the, the financial landscape. How do new people get in, and what are the, some of the misconceptions that you run into when, when people are getting, like, for example, you know, there's um, a lot of people who think, you know, Right early on when I was building Hilo that, you know, I, even in the Bay Area, people would say, you know, oh, Bitcoin's just for drugs or, you know, illicit behavior. Like, how do you kind of go against that or help identify, you know, that behavior or, or trend of thought or school of thought and change it? And how do you think consumers are going to adopt it? Will it be the next apps or apps? Will it be a combination of things? Um, and then on it from a technical perspective, what blockchains do you really think are going to gain momentum this next year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. I mean, it was just two years ago, not even when I was using Bitcoin online to buy graphic cards and computer parts. And it was just it was seamless. It was easy. Um, unfortunately, the volatility has, has made it such that we can't really do that anymore. Um, and that was really the original premise. And, and, and when I talked to people about Bitcoin two, three, four years ago, it's like, oh, you can get it and you can buy things online with it or you can exchange value and, and that's really cool. And all the, there's all these really interesting little protocols that are coming out uh, on Bitcoin. So that that I think that was driving use case early. Um, unfortunately, I think today the speculation now is taking over like, oh, Bitcoin is going to you know, worth, it's going to be worth, it's going to pop. $100,000 yeah, right. at the end of the year. So, so now the, this really question, unfortunately, is, you know, how am I going to make money on this or how will I, you know, hold this and how will I sell it? And, and, and I think that drove a lot of adoption earlier this year that um, once that bubble sort of popped a bit, I, I think consumers are going to be a little bit more wary about just holding Bitcoin for Bitcoin's sake mm-hmm. uh, now. 
Um, at least I think in the U.S., other countries where maybe currency devaluation and other issues are going on that can drive adoption of Bitcoin, I could I could see that happening. Um, so you know, I think where we're going next, though, uh, which is sort of interesting, is in some more of the finance aspects. Um, if if you can start earning interest, you can start doing loans. There's other things that you can do from a finance and investment perspective on that ether that you already hold. That I think is going to drive further adoption. So let's say. If you bought Ether, let's say in December during the run-up, you're sitting on you know, maybe two or three or maybe 100 Ether, depending upon what you invested mm-hmm. at that time. Odds are it's probably just still sitting there if you didn't sell it. What do you, what do, you do with that? Uh, Coinbase isn't giving you an interest rate on it right now. Uh, well, uh, why not use Compound? Compound just launched this last week. You can get a money market rate on your Ether holdings. Um, maybe you should use that. Um, you can also lend it. You can convert it into other things like a stable coin if you want to, which will preserve its value. These are all things that you can do with what you're holding up now. But that's only if you're a current user or have crypto. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we're going to see a lot of new use cases for a while mm-hmm. uh, if you're not already a holder of crypto uh, until we start seeing commerce happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's when the Stripes or the Amazons or whoever starts offering you know, uh, digital purchases again uh, in crypto. That I'll think we'll, I think we'll see a lot wider adoption at that point. And so if somebody was asking you to, how would they learn more about Bitcoin or crypto, or they're interested in learning more about blockchain or getting involved, what do you say? Like, what's your, uh, <laughs> it's always a tough question. Well, I mean, if, if they want to acquire um, any type of crypto, I, I just tell them to go use Coinbase. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I'd say in terms of user experiences, it's pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, there's still like a KYC process that they're going to have to go through. You know, like you're going to have to, uh, upload a passport, a driver's license, and, and that type of thing. But it's not, you know, it's it's not too bad compared to opening your investment account. Uh, you, know, you can go through that process in usually ten minutes, uh, so it's not a big deal. So I just usually just say, hey, go to Coinbase and check it out. Yeah. Um, now, if you want to learn more about the underlying mechanics of, of blockchain, um, I think there's some great one-on-one articles that you can just type in and say, hey Google <laughs> or hey Siri, right, and, and it'll come up for you. Yeah. There's plenty of writing out there. Um, but I, I, I don't think, you know, non-developers are really that super interested in underlying the, you know, understanding the underlying mechanics of a crypto economy. Right, <laughs> right, they, right. You know, they're more interested in like, oh, this is cool. This is cool, right? right? Well, there's like so many coins out there, right? I mean, there's been last year, there was like 2,500 or more token sales. I, I'm not sure what we're at this year numbers wise, but we've seen this shift to security tokens now and mm-hmm. as security tokens offerings, which are STOs, but really no marketplace to provide liquidity. And a lot of people are thinking like that's the next horizon for token sales. Um, what is your take on that and all of that? Because, you know, there's, there's definitely has to be some sort of use case or utility with some of these tokens or, um, you know, a lot of those projects will, will die. So, um, you know, what, what is, what do you, what's your take on some of those projects even being, you know, funded by these different mechanisms? Are we going to have a marketplace long-term? Um, what is it going to look like? Is it going to be a mixture of things? Is it going to, you know, be more centralized as we're seeing today, or are we going to go, you know, centralized to decentralized and have that, that changeover? What, what do you think is going to happen here? Yeah. Okay. So there, there's a lot in there, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot. I know. There, a lot I hate to throw you seven uh, so things. Yes, okay. So I think there were a couple of topics. So one in this whole security token movement, uh, uh, we've already had security tokens, right? Just yeah. About every ICO and opinion of most people now, I think it's widespread that there's security tokens. Uh, although the CEO of uh, Binance just came on and talked about uh, 
on Unchained about uh, their offering. He says, well, you know, globally, I'm not sure we actually have a security token. You know? <laughs> like it's just a sort of back and forth type thing. But I think in the U.S. market and from the U.S. perspective, almost everything was a security token until it became a utility token mm-hmm. when people started using it for, for, for other purposes. Um, so I, I think we're going to continue to see that that happen. What will be interesting is do the security tokens also have an equivalent equity share in the company? Mm-hmm. So are we going to see stock options and other forms of actual ownership of the company itself on chain? Mm-hmm. And then how is that going to get reflected? You know, basically, you know, when you raise that money, you know, how do you follow all of the different sort of regs uh, from the SEC? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's going to be all kinds of different ways to do that. And then like, is there the lockup period that comes with it? Um, you know, how do you associate a public address in with an actual name and identification as it's traded? Um, yeah. I think Harbor's really interested in what they're doing around this right now. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that expand. Uh, the KYC stuff that Bloom is doing, I think is also super interesting in this space. So you can basically check uh, KYC um, of certain things. Civic is another good example. I think, I think this space is evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question will now be centralized versus decentralized. Um, what KYC checks are required mm-hmm. um, as we sort of move into this new landscape of, of, of DEXs. We're pretty bullish on the DEX ecosystem, uh, but I, I mean, it's going to be super interesting to see how this plays plays out. So a DEX is a decentralized exchange, right? And yeah. and so on Fetch, you can basically acquire um, a number of tokens through a DEX or a centralized exchange. Tell us more about that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so decentralized exchange uh, enables peer-to-peer trading or wallet-to-wallet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're running some sort of software code on your local machine that has your public and private keys. And then when you want to actually do a trade, uh, there is a, a piece of code that comes down, you sign it, um, and then you send it back to the chain and you can do a trade with somebody else. You have to sort of figure out where that trade is at, though. It's basically published somewhere, uh, usually on what we call an off-chain order book or in somebody's API a company will publish a bunch of users' orders where they've signed and said, I would like to sell this. And then you as a buyer can say, all right, I will take or buy that. And you sign that order with your key and then submit it to the chain. The chain just processes it. This would be versus centralized exchanges where they will keep one or two central accounts, a wallet, um, where it will have a bunch of money, usually a hot and cold wallet. And then as users are trading back and forth, it's actually just updating a database. That's really all it's doing. Um, and then when you want to withdraw, it sends from that hot wallet to your account on the chain. Uh, so slightly different. Uh, the centralized exchanges are basically custo- uh, their custodians or hold your wallet and your funds. Much like a bank. Like. Much like a bank does or, or different types of investment firms. Uh, versus a decentralized exchange, you're responsible for managing your keys to that worldwide chain. So Fetch um, does all of the interaction on, your, on your behalf. Uh, we service the orders from the APIs of different exchanges, uh, like Radar Relay is a good example. Um, pull that down. We do a cross comparison with centralized exchanges so that you know that you're getting a good rate. Um, and then you can actually one click execute in the app. And we'll take care of all the transaction signing that needs to happen in order for you to do that. So you can just buy and sit back with confidence um, and not have to worry about all the crypto you know, sort of jargon uh, when you're buying. Uh, right now, there are roughly 25-ish decentralized exchanges. So they're sort of, you know, not, it's not exactly sure the market share at the moment. At the beginning of the year, it was near zero. I've seen things upwards of 4 to 5% today of, of total trade volume is now going through DEXs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely growing. 
Uh, I'm super excited about and bullish about uh, this sort of new ecosystem that's evolving. Uh, what I really like about Dexas too, if it continues on the current pace, is that as you um, want to interact and do certain types of things, let's take Augur, uh, or maybe interact with the DAI contract, you need the underlying token. What Dexas are really going to allow us to do is procure that underlying token for you and then actually do the transaction on whatever that service is. And I'm really excited about sort of like how we can chain together a bunch of transactions for you to, to be able to do whatever you want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And it'll leapfrog some of those steps so maybe just taking out a lot of the friction that exists today. Yeah, exactly. Um, from a technology perspective, um, uh, the Ethereum chain has is, is really sort of figured this out where they have what's called a nonce. It allows you to sort of say, all right, process these transactions in order and you increment each one of these transactions and then you can submit them all to the chain at once. Uh, there's obviously some algorithms and some computation you need to make sure that each transaction is correct, but you can do that on the user's behalf. So instead of you sitting there and clicking seven or eight buttons on a screen in order, uh, we just sort of anticipate what you want to do, sign it for you, and then submit it all at once. You know, I think when when DEXs or decentralized exchanges started to come online, I think it was maybe last year or the year before, yeah. um, you know, there was a lot of hesitation to move over to it because, you know, they obviously needed to get a lot more people using them, right? Um, now it seems like that's shifting a little bit. As you said, now about 4 to 5% of total volume is going through DEXs. Um, and then I think one other thing that's happening today that might give them additional support is we're starting to see the SEC come down on a lot of the exchanges internationally and throughout the U.S. Um, so we're starting to see, I think, real regulation come down on these centralized exchanges that traditionally have not been regulated. Do you foresee that shift happening quickly and then all of the momentum and orders going towards decentralized exchanges and then getting momentum over the next like six to eight months? Or what is your, what's your prediction on that? I think we're gonna to continue to see a slow adoption of DEXs. And the main reason why is uh, you as a user need to custody your own wallet, right? You need to have a wallet, you need to understand what a wallet is, um, and you need to interact basically with the DEX with that wallet, right? So there's that piece going on. Um, and there aren't a lot of good wallet solutions for institutional traders out there that help you sort of maintain control of your wallet in a way that would be in guidance for that institutional firm. So there's there's that piece going on. Um, on the regulatory landscape, we just saw um, the Wall Street Journal article, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, that um, sort of cited about 88, maybe it was $98 million um, in uh, basically funds that they were able to track that was basically money laundering from drug-related sites. Um, and one of the, the firms that was named was Shapeshift. Um, Shapeshift uh, just announced uh, a week ago or so uh, that they are no longer going to be in the office exchange and that you have to have an account with them. And they're going to go through KYC. Um, are those two stories related? I don't know, but I'm sure that Shapeshift is looking at the regulatory risk now of being an anonymous exchange. Um, and what that means uh, for, for them in, in the U.S. specifically. Um, on the DEXs, I think we're going to see the same thing happen. Um, but what's going to be interesting about that space, I think, is that uh, anyone can spin up, say, a ZRX Relayer or basically an off-chain order book. Are we going to see order books then move to countries that don't have the regulatory landscape that the U.S. does? Now, you're still going to be able to interact with them inside the U.S., um, but there won't necessarily be U.S. jurisdiction over that country, right, in mm -hmm. that exchange. Uh, so then, like, how how do those regulations impact what they're doing? You know, is, is Fetch impacted by this? I don't know. That regulatory yeah. landscape is unclear. I mean, we're a downloadable sort of smart contract navigator. 
Uh, we're going to allow you to navigate and sort of interact with that API and that off-chain order book. Um, are, do we have to do KYC? The regulatory landscape is a little unclear, I think, at the moment. I think this is one of the first times we're truly in a global marketplace that is just almost instant and programmable mm -hmm. and exciting. I don't think the SEC wants to, or any of the government regulators for that matter, I don't think that they want to you know, slow down technology adoption or prevent innovation. I think they just want to stop terrorism and money laundering. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think any of us in the industry want to support money laundering or anti-terrorism. And that no. we're going to work through that and, yeah. and find solutions that make that, you know, make that you know, almost impossible. Or if you do it, you can be found out pretty quickly. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of countries and investors kind of move abroad to make those investments because there's mm -hmm. less regulations or less oversight, I think, from regulators. And so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out and how the investors kind of take note. I think there's, you know, a few investors that have kind of left the U.S. in terms of investing in token projects, et cetera. Um, and I think that just sends a ripple effect throughout the industry. Like, oh, you know, you know, should we, should we stay here and invest or not? But I think, as you said, I think the regulators are here to, to help rather than hurt the, you know, longevity and growth of the ecosystem is just at, to what extent, right? You know, we want to make sure that we also aren't mired down by legal fees trying to uphold, you know, the status and, and legality of our, of our ecosystem. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of legal fees. <laughs> yeah, sure. it's like throwing, throwing <laughs> out. So talking about investing in protocols and in the foundation to support the crypto ecosystem, we talked about dApps. Um, what would you... What kind of category would you say that, that kind of fetches in in terms of protocols, dApps, ecosystem, trading? You guys aren't a decentralized exchange, but you can trade uh, tokens on your platform. Yep. Um, so what category would you kind of put yourself in? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of categories in the space to think about. So one is the, the chain itself. Um, and I think there's value there. So there's an underlying currency there. There's a network adoption. There's mining. There's a couple of business models uh, on that level. Next up, there's the protocol. How do you write things to the chain um, and to the smart contract ecosystem of, uh, that uh, is in that? That also can have a token uh, to interact with that that protocol itself. Um, and then I think above that, you've got a layer that is for the DAP. So the DAP allows you to interact with the protocol or protocols um, for, uh, for that. And then there's also a wallet. Um, and sometimes the wallet and the DAP are the same. Uh, oftentimes they are not in the case of MetaMask. Mm -hmm. uh, and that wallet manages your identity and basically your ability to sign and interact with that protocol on that chain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so where, where I really consider it fetch is it's sort of um, yeah, basically a fat wallet. Um, it's sort of uh, kind of like a dApp. It's kind of a wallet. The two are mixed in. We manage your identity for you. We allow you to interact with those protocols. So we're adapt in that case. Um, and the way I like to think about us is... You need sort of a way to have a seamless user experience across these protocols and across these chains. Uh, and so really what that uh, fetch is, is it's a wrapper. Uh, it wraps your identity and it wraps the use cases that you're trying to do all in one seamless experience. Mm -hmm. Right now we're desktop, downloadable uh, for Windows and Mac. Uh, we'll be moving over to the browser early next year uh, and be going after mobile payments as well, uh, probably Q2 of next year. Okay, so top three kind of predictions or what would you tell people that, that want to get into the space that are maybe hesitant or investors that are looking at projects that have a, a blockchain or crypto? Yeah, so I, I'd first say don't invest in any more chains. Yeah. Um, the, the network effect is already consolidated around Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, in order for a new chain to come on, it can. 
uh, it's going to overcome two major things. One, it's going to have a technology that is far superior to one of the others, right? Uh, and two, it's got to get the network effect for adoption. Um, the cost for me now to swap over as a, a developer from Ethereum now to another network uh, is a lot, especially if I'm a miner. Mm -hmm. uh, me sort of moving over and bootstrapping or creating nodes on a new network is pretty intense. Um, and then if the chain has underlying mechanics that are different, the, the cost to do that is just, it's a, it's a lot. Um, the developer ecosystem is really well established around uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, less so around the other ones. I think the Ripple, I think Stellar is coming out. Uh, those are really interesting. Uh, so if you want to buy and hold on the existing chain, that would make sense. Uh, but I just, I couldn't see investing in a new chain be very speculative at this point. Um, I'm also not an investment advisor, so yeah. <laughs> anything I say. We'll put that at the end. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, and I'm talking, you know, also VCs who are looking to invest in projects like Fetch because it's not necessarily you're not going to have your token so you're not necessarily in that token but you are supporting the token ecosystem its functions the you know user interfaces and experiences and just trying to make that seamless right yeah so i think on the protocol level uh which is basically the smart contracts or way that you write things to to chain we've seen something like 1500 companies do an ico some crazy amount over the last uh, eight to 12 months um <clears throat> there, there's basically now a smart protocol for just about anything or smart contract for just about anything you could think of, right? We need to let that play out. If you're investing in new protocols at the moment, that I, I probably wouldn't do that. Uh, let's let that space sort of shake out a little yeah. bit. We're starting to see a good number of them come to market now, uh, which is which is awesome. Uh, but no, they're not seeing the user adoption yet. Like they're just coming out to market. They're basically an API or so smart contracts with an okay website in front of it mm -hmm. where you've got a MetaMask integration. Um, and that's really where we're at at the moment. I think the next investment opportunity might be you know, kind of biased is basically the sort of companies out there that are trying to do really interesting apps uh, on top of this. So knitting together these user experiences, providing the wallet solution for, so you, to interact with these types of chains and protocols, I think that's our next investment wave. Uh, Union Square Ventures actually had a really good article posted today about the infrastructure app cycle. Mm -hmm. And their basic sort of theory is, is you need apps or use cases to sort of drive infrastructure. Yep. And then you need infrastructure to sort of support those use cases, which then will drive ad adjacent use cases that we didn't think about once we have infrastructure. So the, the example they use is the light bulb. Uh, Edison invented the light bulb, but there was no electricity grid. Uh, but you didn't need the electricity grid for a light bulb. What you needed is something to replace candles, have a consistent light in, in the house or wherever you for reading and nighttime stuff. Uh, then the light bulb, well, the light bulb is like, oh, if we want widespread adoption, we're going to need better infrastructure. We're going to need electricity grid. Electricity grid gets laid. Um, you know, the light bulb starts getting out there, but not really a big use case. But then it enabled all kinds of other things like microwaves and vacuum cleaners and, you know, a drying machine and, you know, these types of things, which were really adjacent use cases at the time. Um, but then that necessitated more infrastructure, right? So, all right, now we have these new use cases coming out and we need heavier infrastructure for electricity grid. Uh, so then now we got to invent new technology to happen. I think that's what we're seeing today. Uh, the first original use case uh, for Bitcoin payments. Um, we saw all kinds of sites starting to uh, add Bitcoin as a payment technology, which then started slowing down the network. Mm -hmm. So now we've got Bitcoin Lightning coming out. There's an infrastructure response uh, to this uh, sort of apps draining the network. Uh, similarly, CryptoKitties was one of the breakout apps last year, right? And Icos also just brought the network to a crawl as a result. Uh, now we've got Plasma and the Raiden and several other different types of 
uh, sort of Ethereum uh, speedups that are coming, as well as some stuff in Constantinople that will be great and prove a staple for next year. So, but I, I think we just went through another infrastructure cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, all the protocols that are coming out, another good example of that. And I think we're about to go through another app explosion, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, I, I'm sure we're going to go through another infrastructure, infrastructure app, infrastructure app. Yeah, it's kind of chicken, egg, cart, horse, but you need both of them to thrive and survive. That's right. And And kind of one pushes the other in terms of innovation, too. We've been, like, we've been very much in infrastructure phase this last year where we've Mm -hmm. basically been talking (laughs) about, you know, scaling and transaction volume. And it, you know, it seems like it was forever ago, but we were having that huge debate about the size of the, you know, each Blocks. block, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, in Bitcoin block size debate. Versus Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah and that was, that was that's, that we're still like having that. Forever we're ago, still right? having that debate, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. We're seeing that debate kind of still going on. Yeah. And I think that also, you know, it, it's interesting because at the beginning of, of all of this, the blockchain Bitcoin debate, like I like blockchain, not Bitcoin, or I like Bitcoin, not blockchain was going on. And it seemed like blockchain, if you added blockchain to anything, (laughs) it would thrive and survive. And then now it's like protocol. You just add protocol at the end (laughs) of it. And it's like, oh, okay, got it. You know? So who knows what, what that, you know, next wave will be, but I foresee that being applications that, you know, that, that facilitate and use some of these products to get more people using, um, you know, this in a, in a more meaningful way. And, you know, if the, the dApps of today, you're seeing very small numbers in terms of like, you know, daily active users. Yep. So it's like, how can we participate in, you know, much wider adoption? And my thesis, and I think you're on the same, in the, in the same vein is um, the apps of the future will have, you know, modern day user interfaces. And we're just not seeing that today. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the state of dApps for Ethereum's blockchain uh, reports out that uh, they're roughly, I want to say there was like 55, maybe 60,000 monthly active users of Ethereum. Uh, so it's all of the dApps that are out there that they are keeping track of. You know, that's versus just Coinbase alone having something like reportedly like 13 million accounts. And so the difference between those two numbers is, you know, that's pretty, a pretty large chasm. Uh, and, I, and I think there's a large group of people out there that are holding uh, Ethereum or Bitcoin that probably would like to use it, uh, diversify it, hedge it, do other things with it. They're just looking for that opportunity. Yeah. So more apps, please. <laughs> yeah, more, more apps. Uh, that's right. All right. More any parting any parting notes? Well, yeah. Uh, so hellofetch.co. Um, yeah. Hop on there. Uh, we just entered beta mm-hmm. uh, this past Monday. Uh, so we've been sending it out to, to users. Um, Sign up, join our waitlist. Uh, we're doing invites every week uh, mm-hmm. for, for you to come in. Uh, it's downloadable desktop product. We'd love your feedback on it. Um, and it's also um, just like uh, it's near to our heart. We've enjoyed building it. It's uh, it's fun. We have a little space dog. It's um, modeled after my dog, Millhouse. It's a little miniature dachshund. Um, and we just want to make the sort of crypto world less scary, you know, more interactive, um, sort of like help you sort of figure this out. Um, and then also for you to sort of like acquire the tokens that you want. And then you can actually sort of interact with the chain and do some really interesting use cases in Fetch. Uh, so, yep, um, we're going to enter sort of uh, more public uh, probably in October, late October, early November. Uh, so hellofetch.co. Um, and uh, if you have thoughts uh, about Fetch, uh, you can email me at uh, dan at hellofetch.co. Awesome. Well, great to have you today. And thanks so much. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers.